you wouldn't steal a car, but I would download one. Welcome, mere mortal lads, to another episode of the Mere Mortal Book Reviews. This is where I, Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals and uh, Value for Value shows as well, dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information that is within to extract some themes you might not have thought about to let's just go over the general gist of things and maybe uh, inspire you to, to read some different books. Now, this is the book review podcast that I really focus on books that have been vetted with a bit of time, probably at least 10 years. But I, when, when it comes to technology books, I, I might sometimes lessen that. I will just give a reminder, I am live here at 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, which is UTC midnight on a Wednesday. So wherever you are in the world, plus or add your time zone from that and you'll be able to see where join in live like we have Juan and Cole in the uh, in the chat here. So really looking forward to this. And what am I looking forward to today? Well, I do have Free by Chris Anderson. Uh, so this is on the newer end of the spectrum uh, related to digital digital technology and business, I would say is, is the main purpose of this. It was published in 2009, so it's still got that kind of 10 years to it. Approximately 250 pages. I'd say it took me about six hours of reading to get through in total. So what was my motivation and initial impression for getting into this book? Well, uh, I run another podcast, as I mentioned, called the Value for Value podcast. And this is really focusing that podcast on digital content creators and how these things have changed in the past and how they're going to change moving forward into a model that I think is probably going to be more popular, which is the value for value model. I'll talk more about this. And um, Cole has very generously participated in this as well. So you get to see it live and in action as well. But essentially, I am doing season four. I'm starting that off in about a month's time. And I like to do research on the topics that I'm going to pick, how I want to talk about them and, and, and all these sorts of different things. So with that being said, this is the type of book that really helps into that. Um, in terms of my initial impression, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, it gets into the the meat of it very quickly. So, in terms of what the book is actually about, there's no like pro- prologue or there's no like dilly dallying. Really, uh, there is just getting into it. Uh, well, technically, there is a prologue, <laughs> uh, the birth of free, which talks about his uh, his first book, uh, the long tail, and and why he got into this. So. Uh, yeah, this will uh, kick us off, I suppose, into the the plot and the style of this book. So he talks really in this book about how he had this loose end from the uh, the long tail, which is another book of uh, book review I've done on this channel, and it's basically saying like if all of this new stuff is available, and so he was really talking about music, for example, and how uh, there's no less gatekeepers, and you could have this real long tail of. Uh, musicians putting out stuff which maybe isn't economically viable to sell thousands and thousands of copies, but they could sell hundreds of them. And when you've got a digital medium uh, such as you know the internet, Amazon, things like this, you can store and host all of these things with, for essentially zero cost. And he was going, okay, well, if all of this new stuff is available and is costless in a sense, uh, how can any money be made? How is how is this working at all? And because unlimited shelf space has to be free, you're going to have near zero marginal costs. It still does like a byte of data, does still cost some electricity somewhere. How are people making money at all? And so he's got three sections in this book, which are split into 16 separate chapters. 
The three sections are what is free, digital free, and then Freakonomics and the free world. And you'll have chapters in here such as non-monetary economics, where money doesn't rule, what does, uh, the psychology of free, it feels good, too good. So things like this you can find in here. There's no plot as it all blends together. Um, I feel the chapters and the sections honestly could have just been reordered and worked and it still would have come out pretty, pretty good. Uh, so because there is no narrative, it really relies on each section to be standalone and so he and to be interesting at that. So there's lots of real life examples you find within this book, uh, within the text mixed in with his explanations and as well as some pretty pictures and graphs. Um, I'd say it's probably a 70-30 mix in terms of the real life examples and then him explaining why these examples matter. So this is interspersed with spy, uh, sidebars, particular companies, models, interesting things that are happening. If you see on your screen now, it's talking about how a, a music CD can be free and how Prince did this by putting it into actual physical mail and, and sending it out to people and then making the money ultimately on his um, uh, live events in, in London and things like this. So we're going to go to page 202 for an example of the writing style and you can get a feel for how this actually comes through. Piracy doesn't stop at film, software, and music in China. Just get off the train in Shenzhen and you are immediately bombarded with knockoff Rolex watches, Chanel perfume and Gucci bags, and countless ersatz toys and gadgets. Like the pirated CDs on the street corners, these aren't actually free, of course. They're just very cheap. It's only that the original creators aren't seeing a penny of the sales. The intellectual property rights are free. You just pay for the commodity atoms. But as with music, the roots and consequences of this piracy are more subtle than they appear. Piracy extends to virtually every industry in China. A combination of the state of development of the country and its legal systems and its confusion attitude towards intellectual property that makes copying the work of others both a gesture of respect and an essential part of education. It's often hard to explain to Chinese students in the United States what's wrong with plagiarism since reproducing the masters is so central to Chinese teaching. Today, an entire industry exists in China to clone designer goods overnight. Software allows factories to take photographs of Fashion Week models off the web and produce simulations of designer clothing within a couple of months, often beating the originals to the stores. Yeah, okay, so we've got a real style for there, how he's talking about you know, there's Chinese culture and how this interacts with the real world as well. And so we get to to really dive deep into these particular sections and we see, okay, not only has the digital mediums crossed over into allowing some particular artists to to be able to create things for free, but it, it has these weird effects that get out into the real world as well. And so this is where we'll get onto our, our first question and theme. And you know, part of the book goes into the theory of why everything is t trending towards free. I don't particularly want to talk about that because I covered that pretty recently in The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly. So um, I think we'll we'll just leave it for the moment and, and accept that um, and, and that information wants to be free and not should be free. So this is creating a distinction between that this is a technological trend that is somewhat going to happen without human involvement in a way like it's just going to happen whereas it's not ideological and like things should be free damn it you know it's and and it's more of a political thing so um what i do want to talk about though is the the four models of free that he really comes up with and 
and demonstrates in, in these cases. So if you've got the book, this is on page 23 to 31, roughly. And so these, these four models are what he has seen popped up. The first one is direct cross subsidies, direct cross subsidies, <laughs> subsidies, subsidies. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> and so this is where you'll really see like physical products, for example, and the classic one is buy one, get one free. So you're buying one, which is somewhat paying for this other one to come through. And it's like, you know, it's a little bit of a scam, but it's still kind of free in a way. So that that's one way where free is um is a is a way that that's working and so you can see this really with physical products the next one is the three party market if you've listened to much podcast tv or radio or digital content this is one you'll be very familiar with where you you can tune into this podcast for free for example well i won't use this example uh, because this is not how i do it if you listen to a big podcast like joe rogan for example you can tune into that for free. Awesome. Don't need to, to do anything. Uh, but how does he make money in general? Well, he has advertising in his show and a portion of the listeners are going to buy something from those advertisers. And so if they buy something that, you know, money goes towards the advertisers, then the advertisers will give part of that money to Joe Rogan, for example. So this is where you can see it's like a third party is being introduced to kind of obfuscate or take away this um, this the direct need for you to give to Joe Rogan, he's kind of getting paid, but it's in like a, a third hand manner. So you can see this with TV, radio, podcasts, advertising, just in general. The third one is freemium. And this is where you'll have something like a whole lot of people tuning in and most of them, the bulk of them get it for free, but then a certain portion of, of people are willing to pay for that product. And in in essence, the freemium product is they, they get a, something a bit extra. So if you think of like online paywalls, for example, where this is where uh, you'll, you'll have, I don't know, Forbes, for example, if you go onto any of theirs, you, you'll be able to read a little bit, but then if you want to read more, you have to pay for it. And so this is where it's like, okay, well, some people are, are paying to, to be able to create this so that a lot of us can get a, a, you know, a bit of enjoyment. Probably even the better example is Patreon, where you'll get a, a podcast, for example, but if you want the behind the scenes snippets or if you want extra bonus content, this is where you can go to join the Patreon and, and you'll get access that way. Then the final one is just non-monetary markets. And this is where there is no real money being involved. And it's things like reputation and, uh, you know, just benefits, help, for example, and this is where we can see, okay, yeah, this is, uh, you know, four rough models that have really popped up. I've talked about value for value before. How would I fit that into these? It's kind of a mix between the third and the fourth. So this is being the <clears throat> freemium and the non-monetary markets. There's plenty of things that you can do to help out this podcast that are non-monetary re related. And although I'm not offering a extra premium product, there, there is this aspect that some people who are listening into this show and supporting are helping to subsidize the costs of everyone being able to do it. So that, that's uh, if you're just wondering where value for value fits in. Uh, with books like this, you get a bit of a backlash and usually it is from people who don't like that they will have to change. <laughs> it's rather funny because these things are just happening. He's, he's, not, he's just talking about kind of what he's observing, but there's certainly 
aspects of this where people are like, no, you're wrong. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, for example, was not a fan of this book. Uh, journalists as well. And in, in this case, you know, what's really changing? Well, it's for journalists and content creators. Um, and so was all of this negative or positive? What, what's actually happening? Should we be applying terms like that? Uh, we're going to jump onto page 54 and Cole will give us a bit of an explanation. As computers are taught to do a human job, like stock trading, the price of that job drops closer to zero and the displaced humans either learn to do something more challenging or they don't. The first group typically gets paid more than they used to, and the second group gets paid less. The first is the opportunity that comes with industries moving toward abundance. The second is the cost. As a society, our job is to try to make the first group bigger than the second. Abundance thinking is not only discovering what will become cheaper, but also looking for what will become more valuable as a result of that shift and moving to that. It's the engine of growth, something we've been riding since even before David Ricardo defined the quote-unquote comparative advantage of one country over another in the 18th century. Yesterday's abundance consisted of products from another country with more plentiful resources and cheaper labor. Today's also consists of products from the land of silicon and glass threads. Yeah, so we can see with that, you know, abundance and growth is just in our general default. That's what we aim for. This is what we go for. And there are, this is the kind of conflict we see today, for example, with you know, AI, it's going to take over, it's going to take all of our jobs and things like this. And you know, in general, it's it's going to be good. The, the abundance, creating more abundance and growth is generally a good thing. There's just these isolated pockets where it hurts some people because you're a journalist, this is how you used to do things. And it's like, oh, well, the whole newspaper business has changed. I'm going to have to now, be, you know, go into a different role or I'm going to have to learn things differently. Or, you know, for some people, they will just get fired because that job that they had no longer, no longer exists. Jobs get created, all these things happen, but it's just crucial to remember that value simply shifts and that you can take advantage of that. Like in the quote, he was saying, you know, the you want to try and make the, the first group bigger than the second, this being the first group who get to uh, paid more than they used to and get to do something different. Is it necessarily a good thing? You know, humans don't like change. So this, this can be a problem. And that's, that's probably one of the, the biggest detrimental things to all of this. Uh, there's a couple of other things that are somewhat detrimental to a lot of things becoming free on the internet. And so, as I mentioned, all of this is somewhat participated, uh, precipitated, started off by the digital economy and, and being able to transform atoms into bits. So information that used to be provided by a, a book and required a whole lot of you know paper and ink and um, you know ponies to get the the initial, original manuscript from one place to the other. This sort of thing now can be done light speed near marginal zero costs and so this changes a whole lot of things we'll talk more about how that little itty bit of cost still is there but why this actually doesn't really matter that much so a couple of things with free that can be detrimental so it's not all good is when there is when it's worth nothing there is no loss but this can result in a whole lot of waste in the in the digital world, this doesn't really matter too much because sure you can have you know bloating and 
you can have, you know, I've got this hard drive here, for example, which can maybe have too much stuff on it. And eventually I'll just like put it too so many crappy things on there. And it's like, oh, whatever, it's, it's, it, it doesn't matter. It's just digital waste. Like it doesn't have any real impact in the real world. But you can kind of see how this changes a little bit for, um, I, I mean, you do have electronic waste, there is no doubt, where it's just all of these computers, which you know they used to have 100 megabytes of data or 20 megabytes of data or things like that. And eventually they just get swept aside because it's like, that's not enough. Bluff, you know, chuck it into a refuse heat. Uh, we'll, we'll use the newest, latest, greatest product and all of these things. It's like, well, you know, it does create some waste for sure. Uh, so you can have electronic waste in the sense of the atoms being created. So, um, uh, you know, waste in this context allows for freedom to test and play out. Um, but it, it, it's this weird mix where it's, you, you kind of want the abundance to be able to use electricity in weird ways and, and do things which perhaps don't make sense. Uh, but in the end, they, they allow for greater creativity, human flourishing, and, and things like this. Uh, another detrimental factor is just it, it can decimate markets. There is no doubt. He's got this pretty funny section on the encyclopedia uh, wars, I guess, if you want to call it, which I never really thought of before of what encyclopedias, how they used to get you know, put out into the world. And they used to have these door-to-door salesmen who would go around with these you know, big fat versions and they'd sell it for hundreds of dollars. And then things like, you know, uh, Wikipedia came along and just totally changed that. And uh, I, I believe Microsoft had their own version in Carter. So that came along first and then Wikipedia took it away from that. So what used to be a billions and billions of dollar market, it, it reduced a lot in, in size. And so it's like, okay, well, all right, this, this does change things and it can decimate markets um, for sure. So we do get to see free is in general pretty good and has some really great consequences for the world, but there are certain sections where where it does tend to to hurt a little bit more. So maybe we should go on to the author himself, some extra details. I've already somewhat covered him in the book review of The Long Tail. Um, so this is Chris Anderson, editor-in-chief at Wired, known for The Long Tail. Um, one thing I do want to add about him is that he's really in the trenches. He's not just some like guy who's on the internet, like blah blah blah. You know, like I'll create my blog and uh, and just not actually seeing this interaction between the real world and the digital world and how it's playing out. And how this comes about is because he's really into robotics and open source software, managing a business, and uh, in particular with the robotics, he has a company which is related to drones. So he does get to see how digital, you know, changing up of open source software or open uh, open sourcing the designs for a drone can create competition, which would be against his own drones, perhaps, or his company might be the the one that's doing these sorts of things. Um, and I, I guess like he wasn't afraid to call out bad ideas. He's got this whole section at the end where it's like the the biggest mis- misconceptions about free. Um, you can't compete with free. I gave away my stuff and didn't make money. Money, And so he's talking about, you know, an author who tried it out and didn't work. Uh, he was talking about uh, CEOs or people on the boards of the Motion Picture Association. I know he called out, uh, what's his name? 
Donald Shoup and there was one guy in particular who always Mark Cuban who always has his yeah he always creates some some funny things so that's what I liked about him um perhaps the best way to view all of this is via the lens of mirth and curiosity instead of like is this good or is this bad these technological trends the future of a radical price i.e the 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 title of the book uh I think it's really like turning the perception of piracy on its head and in culture in chinese culture as we saw with that quote it's really about a sign of respect to copy others work and that's kind of like oh that's interesting that's a a little bit curious um and perhaps asking are there any cultures which treat the digital world much differently you know with a reverence in comparison to how a lot of us view it which is like you know, I'll listen to a YouTuber and then I'll be over here and then I'll do this thing and it doesn't really that much matter that much. Um, there's this great example. I found this out whilst doing the research for this. So if uh, if there's anyone out there who remembers those piracy ads that used to be on movies and so for, for perhaps some of the, the younger millennials who haven't seen this, there used to be these um, ads where it would have this music where it's like dun, 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 dun. And it would show a guy stealing a handbag or it would show a girl, um, you know, breaking into a car. It's like, you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a handbag. And then it would, it would show a girl uh, downloading something illegally, pri- uh, um, a piracy on the internet. And it's like, stealing is a crime. And it equates basically stealing a movie with a click of the button to stealing a handbag or something like this. One of the best things about this is, so the music for that was uh, created by a a guy from the Netherlands and he originally only created it to be used in like a small film festival and then his music on those anti-piracy ads got pirated and was going into all of these places where he didn't give permission like how good is the how good is life how funny is that that's just an anti-piracy campaign <laughs> didn't even get their ducks in order to make sure the music that they were using wasn't pirated <laughs> like or it was like legally be able to use oh man just so funny so this is where all these sorts of things i think probably the best way to look at it is just like either curiosity of like oh that's really interesting why are they doing that in china why is chinese culture so different and if you go into the book, he's got more examples of how the music scene in there is so different where everyone's just giving their music away for free and they're, they're, they're making it all by these appearances that they'll do in like shopping centers and malls and concerts and, and you know, idols and things like this, uh, or just straight up hilarity of like, what the fuck? Like, how do you get that wrong? A couple more laughable stories here and I'll, I'll, um, I'll let Cole explain this one. But the funny thing about waste is that it's all relative to your sense of scarcity. Our grandparents grew up in an age when a long-distance telephone call was an expensive luxury to be scheduled and kept short. Even today, many people find it hard to keep people of that generation on a long-distance call for long. They still hear a meter ticking in their head and rush to finish. But our kids are growing up in an age where long distance is free on their cell phones. They'll happily chat for hours. From the perspective of the 1950s telecommunications cost, that's incredibly wasteful. But today, when those costs have fallen to near zero, we don't give it a second thought. It doesn't feel like waste. In other words, one generation's scarcity is another's abundance. Correct. So, once again, just the hilarity of thinking back to the past and going, man, one megabyte used to be a lot of space, and now 
I, I'll export, you know, photos of five megabytes sometimes and just not even think like, oh, yeah, I could probably reduce that by half if I just use a filter and I'd, I'd still keep a relatively good quality. But it's like, who gives a shit? doesn't matter. So this is where we just see, you know, stories of how uh, he was in his office and they had uh, only 500 gigabytes of space. And so they were having to individually delete folders from sh- uh, files from shared folders to be able to maintain you know, the, the space. Yet his kid at home had uh, a, a PlayStation or something which had one gig or sorry, one terabyte of data. And yet he's in this professional office and he's like, what are we doing here? Like, let's, this, this stuff is so cheap. What, we're wasting our time deleting individual folders when we can just you know, add an extra terabyte, terabytes and terabytes of data for essentially no money. So it's just really interesting reading in this book and seeing just how many things have changed. And, you know, I'm, I'm 31 years old. I've, I've, I've seen a bit now, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit older, but man, if I was 51, you would have seen some really radical changes. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years time where there's just crazy stuff where we'll be like, do you remember when we used to, you know, it, it just not have access to a certain folder or like you'd, you'd, you'd have to like use a, a terabyte hard drive like I've got here in front of me instead of just all the computers and everything being able to connect instantly. It's, it's so laughable, so laughable how much uh, some of this stuff has changed. So let's jump on to the summary and let's skip most of the five stages of grief, another book that I've reviewed before. So the denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and let's just strip, skip straight to acceptance. Free is going to win the digital world. There is no doubt about it. If you try and win through copyright laws, if you try and win through fear, intimidation tactics, if you try and uh, put things behind paywalls and and force people to pay and you know change general consumer culture. You you're not going to win. You are not going to win. This is related to the like, the little thumbnail I put, which was you're going to be poor if you try and fight against free. It's it's just how it works. And so you really have to think. Okay, how can I actually make some money in this new world where a lot of things are free, but the stuff around it isn't? If you're a musician. You know, a lot of it can relate to touring. If you're a person doing audiobooks or writing, you know, most books don't make money nowadays. That's just how it is. But you can make it by uh, going onto the lecturing circuit, or you could create a physical product which would go with the book, which people would really want to uh, find, get, or acquire, or whatever it is. So you have to use a little bit of strategic thinking. Um, and, you know, use it as a complementary service to acquire new customers and funnel them to somewhere they'll pay. Uh, what I think surprised me so much about this book was, yes, the, the, the free changed the world. The digital nature of things really changed stuff. But it was how it impacted into the real world and had huge consequences in terms of how things were delivered, how people would make money. It, the the interaction between the two really caught me off guard because I, I, I just imagine the digital world was really it's like its own section. You could kind of partition it. You're, you're an online artist or you're a, a real life artist and, and there's no, and there's, there's a big gap between those two. This book kind of changed my mind and being like, no, they're, they're very interconnected and intertwined and you need to be thinking about these things. If, and, and even if you're like an engineer on a mind site, like I used to be, Man, 
things things going to change the there's a lot of stuff in the world which won't change and related to like hard physical atoms probably my mining example there is not a great one because that's related to raw materials but a lot of stuff is going to change and you know just get used used to it get um uh get used to what's happening and what's going to occur so this book was great research for me a lot to take out of it that i'll use in the value for value podcast and just in general i found it pretty fascinating so free by chris anderson i'm going to give a solid seven out of ten to what are some other books which are related to this or which might be interesting for those at home uh look i've covered so many on this channel before common as air amusing ourselves to death the long tail the inevitable the inevitable lots of different things you can get into so if you're interested in this one or if you're interested in any of those i think these all blend together and um if you're interested in the uh the value for value podcast i'd, I'd recommend um checking that out as well let's jump onto the boostergram lounge this is where i thank the people who've helped support the show in a particularly a monetary form but also in other forms uh look i haven't uh gotten any monetary stuff this week uh Ways to do that are by doing it in uh, sending a PayPal donation in, link is down below, or via a Boostergram on a podcasting app. Uh, both of those I very much appreciate, help support me and help support some of the artists like Cole as well, who are um, helping to produce these book reviews and to make these things better. I did get a couple of comments here, and uh, in particular was uh, Juan was asking, can you talk about the hidden costs that Chris misses out on? He focuses on near marginal costs, but that's not actually correct. Creating free, well, near zero marginal costs is correct. They're near zero, um, but a lot of the times he will treat it as if it's zero. Uh, creating free products does in fact have costs. He he does go into these sections where he's saying like, it basically it gets down to the fact that if you are charging a, essentially, we recognize as humans the difference between the two, and this gets to those anti-piracy ads. We recognize there's a big difference between stealing something online and stealing something in the real world because we recognize the costs in the real world are much greater. But there is this idea that we, we can kind of recognize the difference between the two, and I'm sure most people would go, yes, I'm sure it costs a a byte of electricity to uh, a byte, I don't know, a watt of electricity, whatever it is to be able to send a digital file from one place in the world to the other. We recognize that there has to be some cost to that. But because it is so close to zero, we really have trouble being able to factor that in and make decisions based on that. You know, if I was to analyze everything in my life, everything would have a cross, uh, a cost to it. My breathing in of air here... <gasps> That oxygen has got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from a tree that's probably got to be maintained somewhere. You know, this and and this, whether this be through my own effort, through the labor of others or my government or whatever it is, there's a cost somewhere to that. Is it worth thinking about that cost and using that for, for uh, factoring into my everyday decisions in life? Essentially, no. And the same argument is basically here. Sure, for Amazon, it might cost them $100,000 to run a server, which allows them to send out, you know, files to billions of locations in the world or billions of files of data and stuff like this. But it, they, they just, they're able to make their money in other ways and it just isn't worth thinking about. That's probably the best way of, of being able to f 
frame this. When the costs are just so low, there's just the mental bandwidth of trying to figure it out is is it's it's basically useless. So you just go, ah, whatever. Uh, I'll I'll think about these other things, and it's the same as me thinking about, like I mentioned, reducing my file sizes down from a five megabyte photo to four megabytes. It it just has no value to me because it's so low. I I don't really see the cost and there's there's other ways where you could frame it where it's like I could do that and it might delay my purchase of a, another hard drive in the future by t- 2 days but that's not really going to have any impact at all so yeah we'll just leave it at that um I'm going to talk just quickly a uh, reminder here that if you don't know what a boostergram is and that's being able to send in a message directly within your podcasting app and it requires Bitcoin and the Lightning Network and you're like, oh my God, that's so hard. Uh, I do have a QR code here, which you can scan and this will take you to an onboarding location uh, where you'll be able to uh, get some sats and it'll explain how you can use a Lightning wallet and things like this. This is, you know, the opposite of free. I'm giving away some some uh, some valuable Satoshis at this very moment. And there's also a link if you're in the... Um, chapter art of a decent podcasting app newpodcastapps.com or meremortalspodcast.com slash support and you'll be able to to check that out and i'm just going to cover here in my last little section uh, my calls got answered from the last week my value for value uh, i do have a, a backup artist in place if cole ever gets sick and i need to to call someone else uh, to to help me out so thank you very much for that so I just want to keep expanding this. If you know anyone who is a visual visual artist, like graphics design or videos or something like that, um, I am, and, and maybe Cole will want to do this as well. Um, I'm particularly thinking of things related to AI and perhaps the images on your screen, being able to make them more interesting or even just ideas of what I can do to make this more interesting when Cole is reading out the quotes. You see me just grabbing some water and <laughs> and having a drink. But if I can, you know, do, I don't know, visually interpretive dance, or if you think there's some having some sort of video component to what he's reading out, um, I think that would be really cool. And I could make gifts of those and and put them in the the podcasting apps as well. I, yeah, I'm basically just thinking like, what are ways that you think these book reviews could uh, improve and I'm I'm mostly focusing on the visual aspect at this moment um, because I think the audio aspect is 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 pretty decent at, uh, and uh, I think that's going okay. So uh, yeah, if you have any ideas on that, would love to to hear them. You can do that just by reaching out via any of the social links as well. Uh, you know, liking, subscribing on YouTube is very helpful. Uh, sharing this with a friend in particular, if you know someone who's having some radical changes stories of radical changes that you've experienced due to this phenomenon of free. I would love to hear all of those as well. And then finally, monetary support to help support this podcast, help support Cole as well for putting in, reward him for his time and effort. Uh, that's that's kind of, I'd really love to see some, some boostergrams coming in for that because Cole's putting in time and effort to this and I'd love him to get compensated as well. So lots of different things you can ponder upon, think upon there. What's coming up for the next book review? I can say I will have The Last of the Mohicans. I actually don't know that guy's name. I haven't um, bothered to, to look that up. I should probably do that right now. 
And then I've got another book after that called uh, The Book Wars, which is once again on the same sort of theme of uh, related to the, <clears throat> sorry, uh, related to uh, this idea of, sorry, I'm trying to, uh, so it was by James Fenimore Cooper is the, is the book and Book Wars was related to how the digital world has changed through publishing. Uh, and that was by John B. Thompson. So a couple of different books coming up there. Look forward to them. And I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Ciao for now. Karen out.